the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning. I'm Colleen Mars, the Bob France Authority. I'm sitting in once again. I love sitting in the seat. I always have good fun with the music and, you know, kind of hang, hanging in Bob's seat. So thanks, Bob, for giving me the opportunity to sit in. And, you know, it's, I can't believe it's like the end of the year. I've, I've been sitting here since last year. Um, and, and I can't believe it because I'm looking at the last few years and I'm looking at the last, you know, 12 months. And... I have so much to say, so much to talk about toward the end of the year, so much to reflect on, but I'm just happy to be sitting in here for Bob. So once again, thanks, and hopefully he's enjoying his, his, his holiday. Hopefully you enjoyed yours. I didn't really enjoy mine, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up for that today. Again, I'm Colleen tomorrow. Many of you know from listening to the show, you've heard me over the last couple of years, so we'll have a little fun today. We got uh, Jonathan Broadbent coming in uh, in about half an hour. He's going to talk about what's going on with the Ohio schools. He's been on the front lines along with some of uh, our other colleagues battling all the nonsense being taught to kids in these schools with the critical race theory and all these things. So he'll be in at 830. Uh, next hour, we got Steve Krause in the house. Steve Krause, former congressional, uh, state congressional candidate, who's going to talk about the Senate races we got coming up. Uh, but I'm going to talk about a few things today that is going to make me sound like a, a pessimist. And that's probably because I am. I am, a, I am a bit of a pessimist in this regard. I'm looking at what's going on. We've learned a lot over the last 12 months, year and a half. I don't necessarily think that our best days ahead of us, as some politicians like to tell us. I, I see, and I'm, I'm old enough to see civil society breaking down, and I, I think it's a frightening thing for those of us who are old enough to, to see that the things that we once depended on to kind of keep the society going and running are breaking down. Civil society, meaning no one wants to teach anymore in our, in our biggest cities and our schools. People don't want to police uh, people don't want to carry the mail. Carrying the mail is becoming dangerous. People, mail carriers used to be part of the framework, the woodwork. You never really noticed these people. Now they're being targeted, being robbed, or being shot. Um, these jobs, uh, school security guards, there's a shortage in Cleveland, as an example, of, of school security guards. Uh, corrections officers nationwide. People do not want to do these jobs anymore. And these are basic civil service security type jobs. If we aren't safe in these big cities, these cities don't function and people don't live in these cities. So every city is going to turn into a uh, a lawless crime written. I don't know if you remember those of uh, you a certain age. Remember this movie called Escape from New York back in, I think, 
like 1980. It was a movie with Kurt Russell where New York City was so bad they had to put a wall around the whole city and they kept everybody in. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> you look at these old movies and you start to see things coming true. It's kind of frightening. Just like this movie Idiocracy that was made about 20 years ago. We are here now with, with an idiocracy where the intelligent people stopped reproducing. All the Jerry Springer morons were producing kids. And we had a, a, a really stupid society where people could barely speak English. It was trash all over the place. Uh, I stopped laughing halfway through the movie because I said, wait a minute, this is kind of sad. Because <laughs> it's like we're here. Um, I'm not optimistic about a lot of things because I see things just unraveling around the edges. If you look at the immigration situation, which I'll talk about in the next uh, segment, we're basically being invaded and there seems to be nothing that our, our leaders are going to do to stop it. Uh, Latin America is, is, has been a mess. And now that mess is coming here. Uh, and there's nothing to stop it. So I think the people who are sitting up in their little suburbs and their little cushy way of life and, you know, you didn't like Trump and, and all of a sudden he's gone. Everything is great again because the media is now uh, they're not talking about anything anymore. Um, you're going to see very soon some of these things that I'm talking about coming to your backyard. Because if you're, you have these little communities you live in where there's like maybe 5,000 people, your kids go to a nice little school to get to play in the playground. You are under attack because our government has plans on the books to get rid of the suburbs. And if you don't believe me, I can talk about that next segment. Um, they don't like suburbs. They don't like the quote unquote unequal wealth distribution. They don't like the fact that your property taxes pay for your kids' schools. Um, they don't like it. So there are plans. And I went to a meeting back in 2012, uh, which talked about regionalism. And there's several people who uh, can vouch for this, who were there where it talked about the plans on the books to shrink the suburbs, force people back into the cities and to uh, turn some of these formal suburbs into like park spaces and things and to create a bunch of regions where they had more control of all the tax money because they don't like your, your options or my option to live in a better community. So people are voting for their own destruction and don't even understand what's happening. So I see this uh, society coming apart around the seams and it is very unnerving. Uh, I think 40 people took the police test uh, a couple of months ago. No one wants to police in these schools. And then we have fire. Fire applications are down. So, again, firemen, police, mail carriers, uh, you know, all these civil service jobs, corrections officers that we depend on. Nurses. The nursing profession has been devastated due to COVID, due to mandates. If we don't have people that want to work in hospitals, what's going to happen? Everybody can't work at Amazon, folks. I know everybody's thinking, oh, I'm quitting. I'm going to Amazon. Well, Amazon is having all sorts of, of turnover. They're having people uh, uh, almost ready to commit suicide at some of these uh, these warehouses. This This whole Jeff Bezos economy, we can't live off of this. Everybody can't DoorDash or work at Amazon. When you're older and I'm older, we need nursing care, we need hospital care. Who's going to take care of us? Well, I have some, some thoughts on that next segment. But right now, 
some hospitals are recruiting a lot of Filipino nurses. Nursing is a cottage injury in the Philippines where they send their nurses out to work in different countries so they can send money back home. While your kids are going to be majoring in, in gender studies and, and all this other uh, nonsense they learn at these colleges, your hospitals, your schools, your police departments, your fire departments are falling apart. And I think that that's what concerns me the most. I don't mean to be a damper, uh, but I just I'm a realist and I'm looking at things and I just don't like what I see. And I think it, it I've used this analogy when I'm talking to people. It, it, we all knew this older couple, these older couples who lived in our neighborhoods. They may have been married 40 years or so. They took care of the house. They raised their kids. And then they lived out their last days in this house. Once that house, once they've passed on and that house is gone. What happens to that house? That house usually, and at least in my neighborhood and many other neighborhoods, the house turned into to, to crud. No one maintained it. No other family moved in. And pretty soon that house was dilapidated, vacant, and pretty soon torn down. That's happened in a lot of neighborhoods. Because that generation, once they're gone, once that baby boom generation is gone, there's nothing to replace it. And one of the signs of decline in our society right now, there's two real major signs of decline. There's church attendance is at an all-time low. Also, birth rates are at, are at an all-time low. So we're not reproducing ourselves. Uh, there's no more church attendance. These these are the the fabrics that have kept us together, and now they're becoming unraveled. Birth rates are beyond, I guess, what you call the, the, the replacement level, meaning it, it's it's pretty much a wrap in terms of getting back to birth rates, say, during the baby boom after World War II. That's over with. So I think it's really important to look at all these factors. Can it be reversed? Mm, I don't want to say. Uh, but I think it's, it's worth noting what's going on. And society is just breaking down and when you see these lawless these rioters burning looting stealing that's pretty much your future that's pretty much my future these are the people who are reproducing which is utterly scary right now but that's what we have so i've been i've been kind of noticing things these things particularly over the last 12 months and i honestly don't know unless you have a lot of money and you can live in some faraway enclave, you're going to be affected by this at some point. Um, I know that possibly I'm going to be affected by it. I, I, I moved out of the city of Cleveland. I love the city of Cleveland, but I had to move out of the city because even I couldn't take it anymore of living in certain neighborhoods. And the moment I left my old neighborhood, the, the store that I frequented, it was a dollar store I used to go to all the time. It got robbed like two weeks later. And I was in this store at least two or three times a week. So that made me go, you know what, this is a little bit too close to home. And it made me realize, my God, what, what's, what's really happening out here? Now you have this rash, these rashes looting in these stores. Uh, retail theft is dead. Not sure some say retail theft. Retail is dead because of theft. People don't want to go to shopping malls or shopping uh, centers anymore. Things are just being overtaken. And right now you have this backlash against law enforcement that is causing people to not want 
to join our police departments. So what you're going to have is everybody's wanting to walk around with a gun. It's going to be their own police, which is what you have. Some police departments have told people, like in Detroit, hey, we can't get there necessarily, so you better be ready to protect yourself. I think they had a statement a couple years ago in Detroit letting people know, uh, we're, we're short 600 officers, so you're going to have to protect yourself because we may not get there to protect you. So this is a real serious issue. I think even uh, bus drivers, there's a shortage of bus drivers. No one wants to drive these buses because they're violent. The passengers are are out of their minds. They're high. They're disrespectful. Anything dealing with people in these large urban centers is driving away employees. And if you don't have people to do jobs, the jobs don't get done. In the meantime, the government's throwing their two cents in telling people, uh, hey, we'll give you this much money to stay home. So now you have people paid to stay home. You have no one wants to fill these jobs. And then we have a society that's coming apart. So I just uh, don't know what's what the solution is, but I can tell you I just don't like what I see. And we're going to be talking about uh, a few of these issues today, particularly with our schools, uh, with my good friend Jonathan Broadbent's coming in. Uh, you need to know what's going on with your kids in these schools, what they're learning, what they're being taught, and what they're not being taught. And in uh, next segment, I'm going to talk about the uh, the frightening truth behind this immigration wave, which is not pleasant. But again, people are not paying attention because you know Trump is gone, so all all is well uh, in, in America because it was pretty much just about him. Of, of course, it was. Um, so I'm glad to be back. Uh, Glad to be with you. We'll have a little fun today. I'm not going to be a a, 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 <laughs> a depressing person for the rest of the show. We'll try to talk about some optimistic things. and uh, But I'd love to hear from you if you want to call in 216-901-0945. I'm Khalid Namar in for Bob France. Stick around. France Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority. I'm Khalid Namar in for Bob France, who's enjoying his holiday. He likes to call me and call my number, and I jump off the bench and jump in for him. So I'm privileged to be here. And whenever you hear um, this song, Two Against Nature, Steely Dan, it's, it's a homage to, to my good friend and brother Dan Messina, so I know he's listening, so shouts out to Dan Messina. Um, so I was talking about all the things that I see that has caused me to be a pessimist, and particularly when it comes to this whole thing of Americanism. So a lot of people don't know this about this country. When we have a lot of people just Ill- Ill- illegally coming into the country by the millions they settle into various areas of the country where their family members are, where there are already established pockets of people. So I'll give you an example. The largest Somali population in the United States, there's two places. The largest is in Minneapolis. Uh, the second largest center for Somalis is Columbus, Ohio. You have the largest 
uh, Armenian population in Glendale, California. You have the largest population of Polish people outside of Warsaw, Poland, is in Chicago. You have the largest Russian population in Brooklyn. You have the largest Mexican populations that are spread out throughout the southwest United States. And now they're starting to move into the southeast. Of course, you have huge numbers of Colombians and Brazilians and Argentinians in in Florida. Birth rates, their birth rates are higher than, than white Americans and black Americans. You have the largest Afghani population, Iranian populations in California as well. You have all these different groups. They settle into pockets of the country where they really don't have to learn the language because we have no official language, thanks to certain political interests who, who have stopped over the last few decades. So why do you need to be an American? Why do you need to learn English if you can come here and settle into little Poland or little Russia, what they call it, little Odessa in Brooklyn, uh, or settle into little Mexico? Now you have the largest Iraqi population in, uh, it's, it's been in Dearborn, Michigan for years. There's a couple hundred thousand Iraqi immigrants in Dearborn, Michigan. So why do you need to be an American when you can just find uh, a diaspora of people from your country and just settle into that and, and, and you keep it moving? And this is what people don't understand. Now what happens, when these people come here and they vote a certain way, they have certain values, they can live within these little pockets, never assimilate, and then we have these people voting now. We also have a city like New York City, which is a, a, a lot. New York is a is a is a is not a bright city in terms of the leadership. Uh, I always say all the stupid ideas emanate from California. Almost all stupid ideas come from California. Well, there's a lot of dumb politicians in New York, too. They just allow non-citizens to vote. So the people of New York City have just given up some of their autonomy to non-citizens. People who aren't American citizens are voting in local elections. So this is how you can't go to any other country and do this. Uh, in France, if you stay one day past your, your, your visa, your airline ticket and your visa have to basically have the same date. So the day that your visa expires, they want you out of the country. Here, we don't enforce overstays, which is why we had 9-11. I won't get into that, but we care nothing about our sovereignty. So when it comes to immigration, you have millions of people um, who come here and they have no interest in assimilating. So what, 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 what happens? You have, you have a country that's basically balkanized, and, and I'm, those of you who know what that term means, the balkanization of Yugoslavia, where you had five or six different groups living under one flag, Macedonians, Bosnians, Herzegovinians, you know, Albanians, all these people who were never one people, forced to live under one flag, and now uh, it, it's happening here in the United States. And what happened in Yugoslavia was eventually these people who were never one people started to cannibalize and started to fight and kill each other because they were never, uh, they never had anything in common as a people. So what's happening here in this country, I think we're, we're forming little pockets, a little countries within this country and not to mention our political divisions that are being exacerbated by our corrupt trash media every day. So all these things, um, long-term, even short-term, don't give me reason for hope because so many people are stuck in their own lifestyle. They're nice little communities they live in. 
don't really see the big picture and don't really care about the country as a whole. It's about their own little individual life. I vote for what's going to be best for the country and not necessarily for myself. And I think most people who look at an individual politician say, I don't like this guy. I don't like this person. Well, it's not about who you like. It's about who's going to do the best for this country, period. Nice guys, nice women. I really don't care how nice you are. Nice people do a lot of damage. Really nice people. Oh, yeah, but they do a lot of a lot of damage being just being so nice. And, you know, I, I wanted my president to be a little bit of a prick, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. And we, we certainly got one uh, last time. <laughs> but <laughs> Not that much. But I certainly wanted someone who didn't really care to be liked. As Dennis Prager, who's on this network, always says, you cannot be an effective leader if you care about being loved. You have to do it's like your it's like your kids. Your kids, it's not important that they like you because it's important that they respect you. So our president, I want our president to be respected. I don't care how nice he is. Uh, I don't care that he's got a little pretty wife. And I don't, I don't care about all that other nonsense most people care about. So um, I think we have someone who is right now essentially Mr. Magoo. He's clueless. I don't know what's going to happen after he's gone, but I think the damage is already going to be done. But at any rate, uh, I'll pick it up. We'll have we'll, we'll have a little bit more positivity when my friend Jonathan Broadman gets in the studio. Who's here now? He'll be coming up in the next segment. So, uh, Jonathan, I'm need you to lift the audience back up because I pretty much made them cry a little bit this morning. Uh, so we'll be back in next segment with Jonathan Broadbent. We'll talk about what's going on in Ohio schools. I'm Khalid Namar in for Bob France. Stick around. France Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority. I am Khalid Namar and I am in studio with a man that I adore, along with his lovely wife, Jonathan Broadbent. A good hey friend of mine. How you doing, Jonathan? Excellent. Glad to be here. That song is so symbolic for what we're going to talk about. There's a line in that song, hey, teacher, leave them kids alone. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and Khalid and I were singing along during right. the break. Being 80s kids, you know. Yep. Can't help it. Can't help it. So welcome, Jonathan. It's been a long time coming for us to kind of do this thing together. Uh, you and your wife and, and some of our other colleagues have been on the front lines battling these uh, mind control experts uh, in the Ohio schools who have been indoctrinating kids with this racist dogma called critical race theory and some other racial issues. Um, tell us what's going on and tell us what you've been doing about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
First, I'm going to say that uh, I'm delighted to be here. You and I have been friends for a lot of years. Yes. This, this sit-down powwow on the, on the air is a, a long time coming. Yeah. And by the way, real quick, if you want to get in, 901-0945, 216-901-0945. If you got on, please stay on. I actually just sent out a text message or at least one or two people I'm really hoping get a chance to call in and, yes. and speak today. Yeah. So um, the first thing I'm going to start off with, and I just – I always do. I make a point of this. Before I say anything else, I want everybody listening to know that I'm exactly nobody special. I'm not unique. I'm not, uh, I don't have any special skills or anything. Um, I'm just a dad from, I was in Beechwood schools. We've since moved out of Beechwood for reasons that'll probably become clear. They were doing things in the district that we didn't much care for as a family. But I was just, I was a dad with kids in the district, and they started to do some stuff, and I just said, well, wait a minute, that's, that's over the line. Uh, and I raised my hand, I volunteered, I organized a group of people that went in. I don't even think we'd heard the term critical race theory at the time. It was new, I, it surfaced a f- probably a few weeks or a month or two later. This was in early March of this year, Mar- March 2020, um, a whole bunch of people organized and um, I'm going to quickly, because it's, it revolves around race, I'm going to say that it was a mix of black, white, um, I think there was, uh, uh, everybody was there from the community. A lot of people showed up to push back against the school district and say, what's this garbage you're, you're teaching? We didn't know what we were doing. We just knew we didn't like it. Since then, anybody that's turned on a television I've been on the internet or read a paper or, or news article, knows that critical race theory has become a flashpoint. Now we have a term to attach to it. Now we know everything about it. Um, I've learned it's been drinking from a fire hose, but I was offered a volunteer position at an organization called Protect Ohio Children. Um, let, me go if I get, if, let me know if I get into too much detail here. But there's a a wonderful husband and wife couple, John and Diane Stover, who had an organization. Um, I think it's important to know a little bit of the backstory. So their organization, Ohio Value Voters, was focused on Judeo-Christian values applied to politics, legislation, etc. And so they were, they were applying these metrics to uh, political issues. About four or five years ago, they became aware of what I can only describe as the hypersexualization of K through 12. So what we now call comprehensive sexuality education. Um, so they started collecting evidence and information, getting it to politicians, fighting back. That evolved into, and then separated out into, um, Protect Ohio Children. And right away, at around that same time, critical race theory became just front and center, and it has evolved rapidly since then. But I, I tell you, so I heard you saying, yeah, I need to try and bring some hope into the conversation. I will tell you that this is infinitely winnable, and in spite of what you're seeing and hearing and all the the um, you know the comments from superintendents and school boards, like who us what critical race theory? No, no, we don't teach that. It's it's hogwash. They've, all they've done is just rebranded. It's a different name, um, but it's the exact same stuff, and it's terrible. And you're seeing segregation. 
And how horrifying is that? You're seeing school districts in New York and Atlanta that are actually taking the black kids and the white kids and putting them in different classrooms. The whole premise of like, oh, well, the black kids can't learn with a white teacher and they need somebody that looks... Yeah, complete, complete, complete nonsense because we know how Asian kids are outperforming everyone and they rarely see an Asian teacher. Um, you know, those of you know me know that there's two groups of people that I pretty much have the most contempt for in society. It's the me, it's the mainstream media. Yep. Well, there's three groups. There's politicians, the mainstream media and academics. Um, when, <clears throat> excuse me. When it comes to, to the media, as an example, uh, I have more respect for the mafia than the media. Because at least the mafia doesn't pretend to be honest, right? Yeah, you know, well put. Yeah, so I have I have at least a, a little respect for them. Uh, academics, I think, are some of the most obtuse and dense people and overrated people in society, and they're the ones that are teaching kids all this nonsense. Instead of values, a respect, you know, dignity, yep. character, and all these things, they're going back into the past to try to relitigate the past and try to make somebody feel bad for it. So. Thankfully, and next year, I'll hopefully talk more a little bit about it later, my good friend Dan Messina, along with you, uh, we're going to be out uh, with our counter message with our organization, which we have been over the last few years. We're going to teach this stuff in a proper context and hopefully change some minds out there uh, and battle these, these, uh, these demagogues who are ruining these kids. Amen to that. I think we definitely need to. But it, it's another way of putting that, and I hear it said all the time, and it's, it's absolutely true. If we were sending our kids on the school bus to a K-12 through school Monday through Friday, we should be endeavoring to teach them how to think, not what to think. How to think, not what to think. And we have devolved so much into this hyper-political nasty, and I'd I'd like to, during the course of today's conversation, just I think you're close enough. You can just kick me in the shin if I get <laughs> too too far into the weeds here or something. But okay. but um, I'd like to get into um, the three nasty things that are surfacing in K through 12 schools across America right now, and that is critical race theory, mm-hmm. comprehensive sexuality education, and social emotional learning. As we learn more, and Ohio has this whole thing that that's it's disastrous garbage um they call it the the whole child teaching to the whole child or something i just every time i see it i chime in i call it whole child left behind that's my nickname (laughs) for it yeah just borrowing from the nasty disaster of the last one but at the end of the day and i i just i want to lead with the comment that um two things one is my reason for saying hey i I, I've got garnered a lot of attention. I've been on some different media, radio and TV shows and, and stuff. I've made some comments and been published because I talk about this stuff very openly. But again, I'm really not anybody special. I, I'm one of the early people to raise my hand, but there are tons of parents and I encourage every, anybody listening. You're the same. You just All you need to do is raise your hand and just step into the school and start asking questions. That's it. Um, that's what needs to happen. And it's not, uh, first of all, it's not a race division. Critical race theory is the flashpoint, but you're going to find it's liberal versus conservative. And you're going to find the people gathering around saying, oh, heck no, you're not doing this in my schools. Is pretty much equal parts white and black. And the people 
who are stepping in saying, oh, wait, oh, you're whitewashing. No, we need to have this so that we can, you know, really have a, an honest dialogue about racism oh, okay. and stuff. Well, They're people, white and black, too. It's just it's that's the race is not the dividing line. Usually people who say they want honesty don't want honesty, uh, right. particularly when it comes to things like race. They basically mean they want to say uh, what they want to say. They want you to listen because <laughs> you know, they don't want any honesty coming back the other way. So that's just a bunch of nonsense when they say, oh, we just want an honest conversation about race. No, you need honest conversations about a lot of things. Uh, race isn't one of them. You need honest conversations about values, yep. choices, responsibility. Because no one wants to have an honest conversation about race, and if uh, if it hurts their feelings, right? So that's one of the. Uh, <laughs> you should I should come in here someday. We I'll share my social media. I <laughs> shut one down. I got kicked off of LinkedIn recently. Um, I've got a new profile I'm building, and Facebook. I just stopped using one altogether. The ha- the amount of hate. Is ridiculous. Oh yeah, because I don't care how many times somebody calls me racist. Yeah, I know. I'm not. That, that word doesn't Everybody mean anything. Are, the word doesn't mean it's it, useless. Racist, now. racist, racist is like the the equivalent of saying "ouch." <laughs> you know what I mean? That hurt. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, I get a splinter. Yeah. It's the same as like getting your hand chopped. Off. Yeah, that word it, it has no meaning. It's been so watered down. It just means nothing. It's become um, useless. Yeah, I, I actually I'm jealous of you though. Because how's, how's that? you know I've been doing radio for a few years now, and you've gotten more hate mail than I have. <laughs> I that's something to be jealous w- w- of. What's your secret? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. That's uh, I, thought, I, I do a good job of ticking off people on Twitter. I've gotten blocked by lots of well-known people, like you know uh, Charles Blow of the New York Times. Half of the view. Anyway, we can talk about Oh, that. my goodness. Uh, we'll uh, be back in the next segment you. to talk more with Jonathan Broadbent. Uh, Jonathan Broadbent, I'm Khalid Namar, uh, sitting in for Bob France. And uh, just stick around. We got more. Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority. Um, I am Khalid Namar in studio with my good friend and brother Jonathan Broadbent talking about saving Ohio's children from the monsters that are out to get their minds. How does that sound for a horror movie? Um, about right. Right. We got a young lady that's been on hold for a while. We're going to go to Tracy in Strongsville. Tracy, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you for your patience. What's on your mind this morning? Oh, well, you know, you had, you had talked earlier before you had your guest, by the way, great segment there, too, about different, I guess you would call it cultures that are coming into the United States. And they're, you know, they kind of like go in pockets of where they live geographically, right? And yes. they're not kind of assimilating. That was the word you used, right? But that kind of always happened throughout history. I know that my grandfather was born in Belgium, uh, came here. And there's a big uh, Belgian community in Michigan. There's also Greek town is named Greek town for a reason. There's a large Greek community in Michigan. 
obviously the Muslim community, Italian community, so on and so forth. And this is just, you know, every state kind of has this. But I think the major difference was way back then, my grandfather was born in 1920, when he came over here, you know, like the women would sit around and, and he'd come home and walk in the door and hear them speaking in their native tongue. And he'd say, we're American Absolutely. now. We can hold dear to our cultures, right? Our nationality is American. Our heritage is Belgian. You need to melt into the pot. You need to speak English so that we can be in this country. Why we came here was for all the opportunities. And I think a lot with Chinatown, I think that's what San Francisco, we had all this going on for a long time, but somewhere along the way, it changed, it diverted. It was like, why do we have to do that? Why can't we just, you know, we don't have to speak English. We don't have to know anything about the American culture. We just want to hold on to ours. Well, I think it's okay to do both. You know, you have to learn when you're here, though, why you're here. And my grandfather taught me that. You know, I, this was the greatest country on earth, in his opinion. And like Dennis Prager says, doesn't mean it's the perfect one. It's the greatest one. Absolutely. So you have to come here and learn our language. You have to learn how to be American, but you can still pass on your cultural stuff within your own heritage and your community. Absolutely. Thank you for the call. Um, excellent. And I can tell you, I have been told this by so many people who were Polish, who were German. Their parents insisted that they learn English. They insisted. No, we, we, and they even changed their names or shortened their names to become more American. And you know this. That's the difference. They wanted to become American. They didn't want to be. Yeah, we know Italians were forced in ghettos. We know that you know uh, Italians and Polish people and Irish people. We 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 know that part of it. But the English language, because Barack Obama, who I believe was the most overrated politician ever elected in the history of America says, well, you know, when someone brought up English as a common language, he says, oh, that's just something uh, or, or English only. Uh, that's just something to, you know, to divide us. Um, you don't divide people by a common language. Good heavens. No. Genius. You divide people by 50 different languages, like the Balkans, like Yugoslavia, like all these countries, but they never spoke one language. You know, one language doesn't divide anybody. Uh, you, you know, it's like the, the, you have people, we have ballots in what, 80 different languages? French, in France, you cannot say anything in English in France, at least publicly on, on as far as an official language goes. They don't even use the word email. They use the word Coriol. They want to protect. Now, they've conquered the world with their language, but they want to protect it at home, of course. French is spread all over the planet. <laughs> but at home, they want English. I mean, I'm sorry, they want French. They don't want English. They don't want any other language. We have ballots in 80 different languages. We accommodate the world. And they've been squashing this English-only movement for 30 years because it's racist, of course, to have people to come here to learn language so they can be employed and actually uh, be American. So we have no official language, and we probably never will. So, yes, learning English, being an American, you can be Arab, you can be Greek, you can be whatever, but Polish, German, African, whatever, but learning English is the linchpin that is supposed to unite us under under one flag and a, and a, and a, and a value system. I completely agree. And part of that, if you don't mind me chiming in with yeah. a few thoughts, the um, part of that goes to the back to the education system and how we raise children and what our values and beliefs are. And we're seeing exactly polar opposite of that, 180 degrees. This, the, the, level of vitriol, the attacks on American values, on, on English, on 
um, the the uh, just the overused talk about racism as a word, white supremacy. Everything's white supremacy. <laughs> the banking system and the 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 uh, you know the transportation and and if you can point to it, and it exists and and America is in my estimation under attack, and one of the key battlegrounds because this is a this is not a a quick strike type of attack. This is a long-term strategy that's gradually playing out. You hear terms like the long, slow march. And if you, if you agree with me or come to agree with me after looking into what's being taught in K-12 through schools in the United States, then I, I think you'll come to the same conclusion I have, that this is part of the long, slow march. It's tr- to get these kids in this gener- young generation um, indoctrinated into Marxist philosophies and against American and Western values. Yeah, they go after the kids, get them to hate their parents, uh, get them to hate the country, and they're turning out a bunch of little little bots, a little bunch of self righteous little bots. I I can't stand these speeches they give the kids in commencements and graduations because they fill them with so much arrogance about changing the world. No, you change yourself. So right. you run out with this little sense of self-righteousness that you're going to, oh, we're going to change the world. So they come out so arrogant. Yeah. Uh, and these are the same people who end up, many of them, I don't care where you go, where you graduate from. Many of these kids, yeah, they wear a cap and ground and God bless them. But they, some of them still end up in prison. You constantly work on yourself instead of trying to, quote, change the world. Change your community, change yourself. Yep. I Great stuff. completely agree. I locked the door so you can't leave. All right, so. um, (laughs) All right, I guess I'm staying. (laughs) Good to have you. I'm in the studio with Jonathan Broadbent, Khalid Namar, in for Bob France. We're coming back next hour with more good stuff. I hope you hang around. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 